so delighted that all of you are here. I'm grateful for the time that we have together to spend. Let's go to God. God, you know the things that we bring with us as we come into your presence. You know our motives, our weaknesses, our hopes, and our fears. You see us, God, for all that we are. And we thank you that you receive us in nothing less than complete love. We ask that as we seek to know you better, more deeply, as we seek to commit to you with every action and every word, that we might be made in your image, in the image of your perfect son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. This week begins a new Christian season, and it's one that focuses on the weeks leading up to Easter, when those who are Christian will contemplate the death of Christ and will rejoice in the resurrection of Christ. This season is about considering ourselves, our fragility, the challenges of being human, our own sin, and the weight of what Jesus did by coming to die on the cross. The season is called Lent, and it begins on a Wednesday, last Wednesday, when some traditions will place burnt ashes and the symbol of a cross on people's heads. And there's a phrase that they repeat when you receive the ashes, and it's trying to remind us about what these weeks are to bring us to, this fragility. You are dust, and to dust you will return. During our next few weeks, we're going to reflect uh, in the Psalms on our own bodies, ourselves, and our humanity, our flesh. And this week, we're not going to emphasize a specific part, which we'll do some of in the following weeks, but rather the whole of us, all our bodies, everything our human self has to give good and bad. We often speak about our bodies as if they were just containers for our true selves, rather than the thing that is ourselves. Our minds and our hearts and our souls do not simply occupy our bodies. Our bodies, hearts, souls, and minds are one unfathomably complex reality, not able to be divided. We are mortal and fragile and yet have the potential for eternity. We are beautiful and yet inherently flawed. Our embodiment, this basic concept of not dividing our soul, our heart, our mind, our body, can be hard for us to imagine, to live out. We like to think about faith in the scriptures with our minds, and we like to feel our joy and even the weight of our sin with our emotions, but To bring them all together instead of in pieces is difficult for us. It's challenging, but as we spend time thinking about the ways we can be whole in Christ, then we may arrive at Easter as holier people. 
We're going to start today in Psalm 139, and we're going to end today in Psalm 139. But we're going to do the first portion of it first. So I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 12. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I settle on the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and night wraps itself around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. This psalm is one that rejoices in God's glory, in God's presence, and speaks about God's work in the world. The psalm writer describes God's knowledge of humanity, and in this case, their own life, as very thorough and close at hand. Right out of the gate, they say of God, you have searched me, you know me. This tells us of the close connection between God and humanity. God does not simply know the writer on a first glance, acquaintance kind of level. But in the way that you know something, you've looked at all your life. The writer then continues saying that God knows their path, the times of rest, the hour of their rising. God knows their words before they're even in their mouth. The author affirms God's presence in front of them, behind them, on all sides, as they feel God's closeness. And then we get this question, one that the writer will answer in some ways. Where could I go from your presence? Where could I flee from your spirit? The implied answer is nowhere. But the psalm clarifies, if I were to go to heaven, beyond the sky, as the ancients imagined, beyond the waters of the sky, there would God be. If I were to go down, down into the depths of the earth, past the upper layers of the crust where the dead await, there God would be. If I went far to the east or as far to the west as I could manage, your hand and your power, God, would be close, guiding and leading. 
The author gives another example. If, in fact, I thought that even the heaviest darkness could keep me hidden from your sight, I would be mistaken. It would be as if that darkness were the sunshine of a bright morning. Nothing could keep me from being seen and known by you. For the psalmist, God is everywhere. In fact, it's almost too much. God's presence, God's closeness is inescapable in a way that borders on oppressive, never far away, always close at hand. There is nowhere God is not. And the psalmist feels this knowledge down in their very bones. This knowledge is comforting sometimes to us. We want to be known by God fully and completely. We want the assurance that God is always with us, but what about when we don't feel that confidence? What about the times in our life when it feels as if God is nowhere to be found? I'm going to read from the book of Job, chapter 23. There are parallels in this text to our psalm, but perhaps with a different opinion. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. God's hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find God, that I might come even to God's dwelling. I would lay out my case before God and fill up my mouth with arguments. I would learn what God would answer me, and I would understand what God would say to me. Would God contend with me in the greatness of God's power? No, God would give heed to me. There the upright could reason with God, and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. If I go forward, God is not there. Or backward, I cannot perceive God on the left. God hides and I cannot behold God. I turn to the right, but I cannot see God. Job here is speaking after loss in Job's life. A serious physical illness that is attacking his body as he speaks these words. The loss of all of his children. The loss of financial stability his social standing, and his friends who sit around him and push him to confess a sin he has not committed. Rather than the statement that the psalm writer makes about God's presence, Job makes a different one. Job says, if only I could find out where God was, then I could at least bring my complaint to God about how difficult my life is, how heavy my suffering If I could go to God's house, if I had God's address to lay out my reasoning, my case, I would do it. But I don't know where to find God. Job says, if I go forward, if I go ahead, God is not there. If I go backward, behind, God is not there. If I look to the left, to the west, God is absent. If I look to the right, to the east, I cannot even catch a glimpse of where God may be. 
Nowhere can I find God, not if I went to every possible place. Job says, I cannot see where God may be. Job's challenge is real. There are times when we feel it, the struggle, times we join Job in asking, where is God to be found? Job only wants to be known to God that Job's complaint might be heard by one who could justify that the lies that those have claimed would be set aside. Job wants God to know and honor Job's righteous living, but instead Job spends his time searching for a God who feels absent. Don't catch yourself trying to pit these ideas against each other, morally right and morally wrong. The psalm writer is righteous, certainly. But Job is, throughout a 40-some chapter book, portrayed as the peak of righteous living, of goodness. What Job says here to God is out of Job's own righteousness. This complaint is holy. And because we are human, we know both of these too well. We know what it feels like when God is all around us, and we know what it feels like when God is nowhere to be found. The psalm writer in the second portion of our psalm for today teaches us about trusting God's knowledge of us. We're going to read 13 through 18 of the same psalm. It was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know that very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I I come to the end I am still with you. How can we trust that we are known to God? How can we be confident that God knows us in every time, in every place, in every context, every struggle? It is our bodies, our own flesh that teaches us. The psalm writer argues God knows us because God made us. Before we could distinguish between our minds and our hearts and our bodies, God knew us completely. Before we were a thought of a thought, before the blueprint of our DNA strands were found in the womb of our mother's mother's mother, God knew us in totality. By our human bodies, by our very selves, in our very cells, we are known to God because it is God who created. 
There is no way for us to be unknown to God. No path we could take that could take us too far because even more than an artist knows a painting they've worked on for a decade. Even more than a builder knows a piece they've tinkered with a thousand times. God knows us. And we ourselves are not known to God in pieces, as if God knows our hearts but not our minds, our thoughts but not our emotions, our physical selves but not our souls. In our whole selves, our complete forms, our entire human existence is known to our God. In fact, we could go even one step further. In addition to knowing our lives by the creation of our bodies, God also knows the struggle of humanity because God, too, has a body. Has been in a body, not an animated corpse spirit, but a real human. Jesus was completely, fully, and wholly human, just like us. God crafted the body of God so that God might live as a human, fully divine, fully human. Jesus' own body shows us that God knows us, not in theory or in concept, not because God is good at guessing, but because God has lived in a human body too. Jesus is God. And yet, because Jesus is also human, Jesus has been sick, has felt suffering, has known the emotion of feeling close to God or far away from God. Jesus' own body would fail, would be frail. Jesus, who knows the suffering of a stomach virus. Jesus, who knows the pain of struggling to breathe after you catch a cold. Jesus, who had scraped knees and tiny little cuts on his finger. Jesus, who knows the feeling of being far from God and close to God, known and unknown, but still being God, it is in some ways unknowable to us, incomprehensible, but it is true. It is true. And it is only God who can know fully the realities of the human life. Living in bodies is hard. It is hard when we know God is close, and it is harder when we feel God is far away. Being people who are not divisible is challenging and limiting and frustrating. We don't like our limitations no matter what kind of limitation it is. Illness. Disability. Aging. Temporary long-term. God's invitation through this reminder of our own flesh is to bring the whole of ourselves to our God. This means that when you feel your knees creaking as you get up from a chair, that is God's invitation to praise a God who knows what it is to be human. When you feel weak, unable to stand as long as you used to, 
frustrated by your failing muscles, God invites you to know that God is near. When you feel uncertain about your health, allow that humanness to know a God who knows all things, including your very body. When the challenge of aging means forgetfulness, thin skin that tears easily, this longing for a former physical self, remember a God who knows what it is to be limited. When you feel confined by your body as if it is a space of only pain and grief, know that God is not far away, but sits with you knowing what it is like. In order for us to know God, to worship God, to begin to trust in God, we must bring our whole selves to God. Not chopping ourselves into pieces for the sake of our own convenience, but as complete people with all our joy and struggle. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these podcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button. Or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow Him.